Aloha nui kako, Avelina mai i keia pūkana o keia wahi podcast o yoho iho Munkain Tings the podcast. I keia la e ha iha i moolelo hoana vau e pili ana i keia mau wahi moolelo hookalakupua keia moolelo hoo veli veli akako o yoho i o Hawaii's best spooky tales, true local spine tinglers na Rick Carroll i ako ko maila i keia mau moolelo. Uh, no, Laila, I will be reading from Hawaii's Best Spooky Tales again today. Well, this is a different book. The last book we were reading was Chicken Skin, True Spooky Stories of Hawaii. Still Rick Carroll, but just a different, um, I think this one is more of like a anthology. I'm not sure. This one is interesting because at the bottom it says includes the guide to spooky places and inside... Aw, so cute. I just saw a note that my mom wrote to my dad in this book. To the spookiest dad, love your ohana, 1998. So my mom actually gave this book to my dad. Interesting. Yeah, my dad is definitely where I got a lot of my love for legends and stories and just mo'olelo in general. But anyway, um, so I have a bunch of these mo'olelo that I've bookmarked in this book that I'm going to read to us today. Um, but like I was saying, the guide to spooky places is in this book. I don't even know if you can still buy this book, but, um, throughout the whole book, there's like places on a map that are known to be like scary hotspots. I was going to do a map spooky season one inspired by my Kanaka cartographer, Levy Sheens. Um, but I just, yeah. The designs came out as they came out, and maybe next year we'll do a spooky map or something like that. But anyway, um, so yeah, I have some mo'olelo for us today. I've been advertising this podcast on TikTok and on Instagram more, so aloha, kako. If you're brand new to the podcast, I don't ever edit these things. I literally just record them when I have time in between printing and designing and being a mom and doing all the other things that I do, um... So what you get is what you get on this podcast. (laughs) And mahalo for being here. And let me know if you want to pay me to do this and I can do a better job. But other than that, aloha kako. Velina mai. Come sit down and go tell you story today. Okay? So, first, okay, so my criteria for the stories that I read to you guys are I read the book first and then the stories that literally give me real ash chicken skin, I post on the podcast. Or I bookmark to read on the podcast. So the first, so this book is broken up into sections. I this is like one of my favorite um, spooky story volumes. So the different sections in this puke are Pele, Stones and Bones, Kahuna, Haunted Places, Night Terrors, Small Kid Time, Family, nineteen hundred to nineteen fifty. Ship and Shore, and then the Guide to Spooky Places. I only got through Small Kid Time, I think. I didn't even get through the last three parts, but I already have so many that I wanted to read to you guys that I'm going to go ahead and get started. So I think today we'll just get through the first like three sections, and then next time will be the next three, and then the last one will finish up the last three. Um, or maybe I'll just do Navahine Lole together. I don't know. I think I'll do those separately. Um, but yeah. Let's go ahead and dive into it. So these first um, mo'olelo are about Tutu Pele. And like the very first story I booked marked. So it says, I have met a number of people, otherwise ordinary, God-fearing people, Hawaiians and Haole alike, who claim they have seen Madame Pele, the goddess of Hawaiian volcanoes. Of all the Pele stories I have heard, this is my favorite because it involves four eyewitnesses, a journalist, a pilot, a volcanologist, and a sugar planter who each saw Pele in broad daylight. 
The day we met Pele, we were not supposed to meet anyone. Please note the we. There were three witnesses to this story of meeting the fiery goddess of Hawaii volcanoes. I wouldn't dare tell you about this if I had been alone. My friends and I were a pilot, a scientist, and a sugar plantation manager. Our visit with Pele was in the spring of 1955. The goddess was island building down in the lower Puna area on the flank of Kilo on the flank of Kilauea volcano. I love how he says that the goddess was island building. Ooh. It was the first eruption in modern history to happen in a populated area. For over a week, wow, this is like what, almost a hundred years old, this story already. So this was the spring of 1955. We're in 2021, almost 2022. So we're pretty much like 80 years away from that. That is freaking crazy. For over a week, a large section of Puna had been cut off from the rest of the island by two rivers of molten lava as they raced from the vents into the ocean. Residents of the area were now refugees in a school gymnasium in the sugar town of Pahoa. So interesting, yeah, how um, history can repeat itself. And 2018 Pele eruption, very similar to 1955 from what it sounds like. The manager of the Puna Sugar Company wanted to inspect what was left of his fields in the abandoned area. He talked the pilot of a small plane into landing on a cinder road between the lava flows so he could inspect the area on foot. Since there were two empty seats in the airplane, a volcano scientist was invited to go along. I was talked into going to record the trip with camera and pen as I was a newsman in those days. The pilot landed the Cessna aircraft on the road. The landing distance was so short, he had to stand on the brakes to keep from going into the bushes. Oh, this is nuts. The four of us walked around inspecting the sugar fields, a path of bananas, and a sweet potato farm plot. There were no houses in this section. Imagine our surprise when we came upon a lady, capital L, sitting at the edge of a sugar field. Later, I checked my notes, and I definitely wrote her down as a lady. That's the impression that I had. In my estimation, a girl would have been under 20. She was older, but not by much. If it were a woman, the person would have showed more maturity in dress and hairdo and a certain domestication of mannerisms. You know, she would have had that look that sends children to bed without a fuss at 8 p.m. But a lady has a charm of sophistication. She carries herself with authority even when sitting. She has soft features, clearness of a skin, a sculpturing of the nose that denotes breeding. This lady sitting by the side of the path had all of these at first glance. She wore a red mu'umu'u with black markings that resembled bamboo. She displayed no jewelry. A cloud of jet black hair flowed behind her shoulders and down to the middle of her back. She was barefoot. Bro, if you've ever been in those lava fields, fresh or not, there is nobody walking around that shit barefoot. Hi, said the manager, recovering from his surprise. Aloha, she answered. To this day, I cannot truthfully explain how that aloha sounded. Something like a lover saying it to his love in the moonlight with the sound of the sea whispering on sands would be a fair attempt. Ooh, kill it. What are you doing here? Asked the sugar planter in authoritative voice. Sorry, he said. What are you doing here? <laughs> After all, he owned this land. Just resting in the shade of the sugar cane, the lady replied, giving us a radiant smile. No one is supposed to be in this area, the scientist said. The National Guard evacuated everyone a week ago. Why did you stay behind? You know you're trapped in between lava flows here. The lady's smile just grew wider, as if that were answer enough. What's your name? I inquired, poising a pencil over my notebook. She said something very musical in Hawaiian that sounded to me like the name of a fern. I wrote it down phonetically, and it appears as u'ulei in my notes. Later, I looked the word up in a Hawaiian dictionary. It's actually ulei, a Hawaiian shrub with small, white, rose-like flowers. The pilot frowned and turned to us. I could make two trips in the plane and take her out, he said. Oh, 
I won't leave here, the lady said. At least not today. I have work to do. Perhaps I'll be ready to go somewhere else next week. Well, if you don't want to come away with us now, you may have to today, later on, or tomorrow, the scientist said. We'll have to report you to civil defense and they will send a helicopter in for you. The eruption has caused an emergency in this part of the island and there are laws to protect people. I follow my own laws, the lady said, and for the first time she stopped smiling. I remember looking into her eyes at that moment and what I saw was familiar. While in college, I had spent a Christmas vacation with some friends in a home on a frozen lake in Wisconsin. We all slept in their living room because the cast iron stove could only heat that room. The stove was loaded with wood at bedtime, but by dawn it was freezing to the touch. However, when I lifted the lid to put in more wood, there were two gleaming cherry red coals nestling in the gray ashes that promised instant rekindling. The lady's features were now cold, and those same two glowing coals were deep within her gray eyes. Perhaps my three companions had somewhat the same feeling because the manager said, We'll finish our inspection of this area, and if you want to go out with us, you can wait by the plane. He gestured up the road to where we, where we landed. We continued walking, but for some strange reason, we had only, only gone ten feet or so when the idea that this might be Pele entered our minds simultaneously. We turned around to look again at the lady, and she was gone. We ran back. The manager plunged into the cane field. The pilot went up the road. The scientist jogged down another path. I stood and called her name, and we couldn't find her. A spooky feeling began to creep into all of us, like a cloud invading a rainforest at dusk. I think it's time to go, the pilot said, and no one disagreed. We got in the plane and taxied to the end of the cinder road. The pilot gunned the engine and stood on the brakes. When he released the brakes, we lurched forward. Halfway down the road, it was obvious the plane was too heavily loaded to clear the trees ahead. Landing on a small road was one thing. Taking off with a heavy load was another. We stopped. Someone has to get out, the pilot said. I'll come back for you later. The you was directed at me. I was sitting next to the door. For reasons not entirely clear to me, I made no protest and got out of the plane. I was scared. I did not want to socialize with anyone, especially a lady. As the plane took off, diminished to a dot, and then disappear, I fervently wished I was somewhere else, anywhere else would do. My thoughts were of Pele sightings I had read. They were usually about seeing an old woman or a pretty young one during an eruption. The common thing is that she is hitchhiking, gets into a car, asks for a cigarette, lights it with the tip of her finger, and then when the driver momentarily looks the other way, she disappears. Another story is that she comes to a house accompanied by a white dog and asks for something to eat or drink. When given something, she goes on her way, but if she is refused, she stamps her foot and very soon a finger of molten lava branches off from the main flow and destroys the house. An hour dragged by and when no lady appeared, I began to laugh at myself. That wasn't Pele. She was probably a resident who had decided to stay in the area to take care of her cat or dog. I had a name and description. I would solve this mystery once I got out. The pilot did return, and an hour later, I walked into civil defense headquarters at the refugee gym. The pilot, the scientist, and the sugar planter were there. The four of us grilled the residents of Puna. The lady's name and description didn't fit anyone they knew. The National Guard commander and civil defense workers all assured us they had done a thorough job in getting everyone out, both people and their pets. Oh, I have mean chicken skin right now. That one always gets me. This next story, um, I'm going to take a break from the Puke, and I'm actually going to read this next story from a submission that was sent in. Please send me your scary stories, your real scary stories. Um, I know I keep saying I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that, but I do want to share my scary stories with you guys, but there's just so many great stories in this book. 
I want to share my scary stories with you guys. I want to hear your scary stories. I want to tell you guys scary stories that I've read throughout the years that I really love that maybe aren't so true, but yeah. Um, so I'm going to read this scary story that somebody sent in. Please send in your scary stories, even if you don't think it's super scary, even if you're like, I don't even know if that really happened. Like, just send it in, please. My email is moonkindtings at gmail.com. can send it in however you want. You can come on the podcast. I can read it for you, whatever you want to do. Um, so this story, I don't know if I'm supposed to share a name, but it comes from Kauai. So it says, my first story starts in Waimea, Kauai, Hawaii. 2014, I was pregnant with my oldest child. The whole experience was so strange. November 13, 2014, while in labor with my son and on the way to the hospital, I got the call that my dad had passed away. Oh. At this point, I went into full-blown labor and my son was born about three hours later at the hospital in Waimea. Baby was having major health issues after inhaling meconium, so the teacher... Why did I say teacher? It says doctor. The doctor told us he might not make it and to prepare to medevac to Oahu. He stabilized and finally made it in my room by the third night. That was when I experienced the menehune. Oh, I always hear stories about menehune on Kauai. It was like they followed his bassinet around the maternity wing. The first night he slept in our room, I felt uneasy and I could sense them. I finally dozed up, dozed off and woke up to see two menehune who had shape-shifted into the labor and delivery nurses. Like, no joke, they had on scrubs and even had the sm- same faces of my nurses. I almost thought it was them until I realized they were small. I freaked out and ran out of bed and told them, no, they can't have him, and they disappeared. I sat up all night with him in my arms, so scared that they'd come back. Growing up on Kauai, I seen plenty of spirits and experienced a lot, but never actually saw Menehune. Now, almost seven years later, I do see why they wanted him. He's very sensitive to spirits and has memories of the island before he was born. Oh, I just got chicken skin. That's a mean one. Keiki always know, man, before you grow up and before we can tell them that's not real, that's fake, ignore it. Before we can squash their na'o, you know what I mean? It's like they know, they freaking know. Heavy. That's a great story. Mahalo Nui for sending that one in. Um, So we have that. I'll just read one more from the Puke tonight. Let's see. Let's go to... This one is in Bones and Stones, and it's called Encounter at Ulupoheo. I like this one because I'm familiar with Ulupoheo. Um, I will never understand why people want to visit Luakini, which are human sacrificial heo, um, unless you, you know, your family um, is a ceremonial, ritualistic family, and you have business there. Yeah, just I guess. Okay, sorry. Let me rephrase that. Personally, I don't have business in human sacrificial heo, so I don't uh, visit them. Like, I don't, I don't know. It's just strange to me. But anyway, okay. So this Mo'olelo says, on Oahu's windward side, just off the busy Pali Highway, almost hidden behind YMCA. Okay, just checking this the recording. Is one of Oahu's most sacred ancient sites, the Ulupo Heo. Strange things occur here, especially to anyone who fails to pay proper respect. As a Malihini learned when she suffered the consequences after her encounter at ulupo heo many people come to visit ulupo heo it's a place like what the fuck why it's a place of ancient worship but not an active place or so it's thought yet strange things often happen here sometimes our bus won't start after we visit especially if somebody stepped on the rocks like why the actual fuck would you take tourists to a human sacrificial heo like 
I, I, it just is beyond me. It's beyond me. Don't even get me started on tourism in Hawaii. Uh, once the bus store started opening and shutting all by themselves, a girl who lives nearby told me she found baby footprints in the soft mud down by the stream. The footprints started going around in a circle, and in the circle, she found dried chicken bones. The police were called, but I never heard an explanation or saw anything in the newspaper. I have heard that people who live near the Heiau regularly see fireballs shoot across the stones at night. I don't doubt these things happen. One Saturday night, about two years ago, while I was leading a tour to the Heiau, something very unusual happened to me. Every Saturday night, we leave by bus at sunset for Ulupo Heiau. We start at Punchbowl and go to Manoa Cemetery and then around Sandy Beach through Waimanalo to get to the Heo. By the time we get to Ulupo, it's about 9.15 or 9.30. It's very dark. It's really beautiful because the Heo is lighted by the moon, the Kawainui Swamp is still, and the Pali is silhouetted by the glow of Honolulu City lights. It's naturally eerie. On this particular tour, we had 57 people, a busload, all employees of an Oahu hotel on a cultural field trip to see Oahu's sacred and spiritual sites. Bitch, like, what? They were a great group, really excited, and they brought things to eat, like manapua, joking that everybody has to eat it because we're going back over the pali and you can't take pork over the pali. It was just a real funny group. Real side note, real quick. I don't know if you guys know this, but... The reason why you can't take pork over the Pali is because Kamapua'a's territory is east side and Tutupele's territory is like Nu'uanu and that side and like all of that Punchbowl stuff. Sorry, what's the real name of Punchbowl? Oh, it's escaping my mind right now. But doesn't it also start with a P? Oh my gosh, why can I not think of this? Okay, this is important. Punchbowl. Let's see. While I'm trying, while I'm looking this up, really, really, that's really what I'm doing, okay? Like, full transparency. Pua Waina! Pua Waina. So, anyway, Tutu Pele's um, territory is all of that area, and so you can't take pork over the Pali because Pele and Kamapua'a scrap all the time, and Kamapua'a's territory is east side, so when you leave east side to go over the Pali and you have pork, you're carrying a kinolau of Kamapua'a, into Pele's territory, which is why she gets pissed off. So, in case you were ever wondering where that mo'olela comes from, I don't know if somebody told me that or if I put that together myself or if I read that somewhere, but it makes sense. <laughs> anyway, moving on. Three older local Hawaiian ladies came up to me before the tour started and said, I thought they were joking, but they were serious, that one of their colleagues, a young lady who had recently moved from the mainland, was very skeptical uh, skeptical about all the stories she'd heard. She was the type who would do exactly what you told her not to. Are you sure? Is she really going to be that bad? I asked them, and they said, we wouldn't put anything past her. I did notice young one, one young woman sitting off to the side by herself, sort of smirking, and I correctly guessed that it was her. On the way, I briefed everyone about how very important it is to show respect and that it's sacred ground. I told them, it's like, it's not just sacred ground, though. It's like ground where people have died, like... I mean, that's everywhere in Hawaii, but like a sack, fuck, I don't know. I just don't get it. I told them not to walk on the hail or remove any stones, and even if they may not believe in the Hawaiian ways, to at least pay as much respect as possible. As everyone got off the bus, we gave them a tea leaf because it's supposed to keep you safe and bring good luck. And we used it like a ticket to get back on the bus. Oh, okay. Uh, you know, they get, they provide the pale, they provide the background, I guess. But I mean, you're asking for trouble. After about 15 minutes, I started walking back toward the beginning of the heiau and I saw those three older Hawaiian ladies, two on their knees on the ground and one standing up just shaking her head. 
Two of them were crying and the other was praying, chanting. I was in shock. I thought maybe it's their family's heo or maybe they feel something here. Then one of the ladies pointed toward the heo and said, See, I told you. I turned around and, looking, and looked and that lady they had told me about earlier was out in the middle of the heo, standing around, waving, what is, looking around, standing with her hands on her hips, kicking stones, bitch, kicking stones, saying, What is the big deal? It's just a pile of rocks. Get over it. You're supposed to worship this thing. What's the big deal? My mouth dropped open and you could hear everybody mumbling. Oh my gosh. You know, like, what does she think she's doing? I don't know how to handle this. It was so out of control at this point. So I begged her not to desecrate the heo anymore by kicking stones. And finally, she walked back down on what's called the Menehune pathway, the entrance to the heo, a flat paved trail and came back to the group. And she had her hands on her hips still and was kind of rolling her eyes saying, I don't understand. See, it's bitches like this. Okay. Two Hawaiian ladies opened their purses and took out some Hawaiian salt and they started dousing her down with salt to get rid of the evil spirits. Someone had a bottle of water and they doused her with that and waved tea leaves at her. Please don't bother, she said. I'm fine. There's nothing here. All at once, several men and women started opening their wallets and purses and taking out money. They were talking about calling a cab to take her home. They believed she had caused such disrespect that the spirits would follow her on the bus up over the pulley, the very dangerous part of the island, and that someone, something would happen to her and everyone on the bus. They thought spirits would follow her and the tour would be doomed. They doctored her with more salt and water and tea leaves and finally agreed to get on the bus with her, which really shocked me. The rest of the tour was melancholy. Everybody's mood changed and you could feel the tension. We got back to the starting point and she just sort of snuck away while the others stood shaking their heads. The next day when the young lady went to work, she went up to the Hawaiian ladies, lifted up her dress and showed them her legs. They were all red and puffy and had swollen three or four times normal size. She was having difficulty walking. She was in tears. She went to a doctor and he said, well, your blood is not circulating. That's why you have puffiness and swelling, but there's no physical reason why this should be taking place. She asked the three Hawaiian ladies for help and they took her to a kahu and the kahu immediately noticed that she appeared to be dragging around extra spirits. What do you mean? She asked. They're grabbing onto your ankles so tightly that it's cutting off your circulation, he said. So a blessing was said and she went back to Ulupoheo and left an offering and apologized. Her legs, of course, returned to normal size. The last we heard, she was taking courses in Hawaiian studies at the University of Hawaii Manoa so she wouldn't make the same mistake again. Fucking period. And that's what fucking happens when you disrespect Hawaiian stuff. I'm going to end the podcast right there because what a perfect, lovely note. Ahui ho kako. Mahalo for listening. Mahalo for your kako'o, your love and support. I will be back with another podcast episode. Um, The next one, I'm going to read my own um i'm gonna tell my own scary stories as well as read like maybe one or two from the book um in the meantime i'm gonna get the Corey's podcast together from navahine lole so mahalo for your patience mahalo for your kako'o and ahui ho kako ila mai ka'i